Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. This announcement to the shepherds on that first Christmas evening is startling. Not simply because it's coming from among the ranks of the heavenly host, but also, and more importantly, because of the content of that message. Good news of great joy for all people. This is startling and unexpected news in a world that is often shrouded in darkness. In many ways, times are not so different now in the 21st century in North America than they were in first century Palestine. Now, like then, we face political turmoil and uncertainty, different groups vying for social capital and influence, a growing divide between the haves and the have-nots. So when the angel announces good news of great joy for all people, the angel means all people in all times and in all places. This good news of great joy announced some 2,000 years ago is equally for us here today. However, I think it's difficult to understand the radicality of this life-changing, world-altering news. There are a number of reasons for why this is the case. But I think it's largely due to our over-familiarity with the story. We've heard this all before. Now, to be clear by we, I am referring to those of us who are connected to the church. We hear this story over and over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we all like the story and its powerful imagery. But we get used to it, so used to it that it becomes commonplace. We look forward to our Christmas celebrations and all that goes with them. But the good news of great joy for all people, shouted and sung by a heavenly force, easily becomes old news of a nice story for those who are into such things. So it's easy to get caught up in everything that surrounds Christmas and completely miss the center. We've heard it all before. Now, in an increasingly secular age where the majority of people are essentially ignorant of the Christmas story, not even knowing who Jesus is, let alone Mary or Joseph, the center of the Christmas story now is moved. It's assumed to be something called Christmas spirit or Christmas magic for those who simply believe. Now, these are nice-sounding sentiments, and they form the basis of almost every single Christmas movie ever made, except for Die Hard which I said is still the best Christmas movie. And it's hard to argue with these sentiments, isn't it? The idea of mere magic and spirit and belief. But they're vague, nebulous concepts. But to question something as wonderful as Christmas spirit or the magic of Christmas is to become as bad as Ebenezer Scrooge. So I hope no one brought rotten fruit or tomatoes with you today. Is that, or eggs, right? Okay, and then I can proceed. Because after all, who doesn't like what one well-known Christmas song calls that sentimental feeling? Isn't this feeling the heart of Christmas? Isn't this what it's all about? But could it be that this Christmas sentimentality actually conceals a deeper issue or problem? Could it be that this sentimentality is actually a cover-up for the deep-seated realization that there actually has to be something more to Christmas and more to life 
than warm, fuzzy feelings? Could it be that we resist questioning Christmas sentimentality because we know that if we strip it all away, that we are left with nothing at the heart of it all? Now, we've all experienced that post-Christmas letdown. Once all the food is eaten, the presents opened, and the guests are gone, thank God. Now, there's something satisfying about all this. Don't get me wrong. But if we hook ourselves on this feeling alone, we know it's a rather fleeting feeling, isn't it? Especially once the regular rhythms of post-holiday life set in with all its stresses and all its heartbreak. Sentimentality helps us to cope but only for a while. You see, in the end, sentimentality, even with the best of intentions, obscures the radicality of what happened that first Christmas. Sentimentality pacifies and domesticates this startling good news of great joy for all people. There is something more. There is something real at the heart of Christmas, beyond sentimentality. My friends, something brought you here tonight. Perhaps it was a sense of tradition or duty. Perhaps you were dragged along by family members who said, if you're going to go to church, at least go on Christmas. Something brought you here. And whatever it is, I'm convinced that God is at work and bringing you here today. And if this is true, that God is at work, then God has brought you here not to be wrapped in warm feelings of Christmas sentimentality, but God has rather brought you here to ponder the great mystery of the incarnation of God with us, the nativity of Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and son of God. So I want to spend a few moments with you this evening moving beyond sentimentality in order to reflect on the heart of the mystery of Christmas. God's revelation of himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the prime mystery at the heart of Christmas and at the heart of the Christian faith. Now, incarnation is one of those fancy words that they teach you at seminary, and it literally means taking on meat or flesh. As St. John put it, as we read at the beginning of the service, the word became flesh, was incarnate, and dwelt among us. In this simple statement of St. John, we have the entirety of the gospel summarized. Indeed, this is the great gift of Christmas, the good news of great joy announced by the angel, that God came to us as one of us, for us. In other words, Christmas is about the meeting of God and humanity, and not only their meeting, but their becoming one, together, intimately and completely in Jesus Christ. Now, this coming together implies that there was a separation, a breach that needs to be repaired. This breach between God and humanity is due to what we call sin, or what one author calls the human propensity to mess things up. And he doesn't use the word mess, he uses a bit of a stronger word there. I'll leave that to your imagination. But it's an accurate description, isn't it? That's all of us. We know what it means, this human propensity to mess things up, both as the initiators and on being the receiving end of that. As St. Paul puts it bluntly in his letter to the Romans, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this is precisely why the announcement of the angels is good news for all people. Because if all people have sinned, then the arrival of Jesus, of God himself on the scene, is good news for all people. 
because now all people can be forgiven, redeemed, and reconciled to God. You see, God alone can close this gap. God alone can save us from ourselves. God alone can heal us from this propensity to mess things up. God alone can make it right. At Christmas, we are not celebrating a sentimental feeling. We are celebrating the good news that God came to deal with all the mess of our humanity by entering into that mess in the glorious birth of Jesus. God became human fully and entirely so that we might be restored to fellowship with God fully and entirely. The sheer fact of God becoming fully human while remaining fully God is good news because it means that everything Jesus says and does, he says and does not only on our behalf, but he says and does as one of us. You see, God is not some remote being so far removed from us that we can only guess what he is like. God came to be with us in the most intimate way possible by becoming one of us. Jesus closes the gap. He mends the separation between God and humanity. There is no God hiding behind the back of Jesus, ready to pounce out and wham us. What we see in Jesus is God fully revealed in the flesh. As the hymn Hark the Herald Angels puts it, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. Now this should rightly strike us as strange and incomprehensible. Indeed, the very impossibility of this notion is one of the reasons why I think we are so quick to put sentimentality at the heart of Christmas. Because the idea of God, transcendent source of all being beyond space and time, entering not only into time and space, but doing so as one of us, is so offensive as to be utterly irreligious. And indeed, it is irreligious. And thanks be to God, it is. Because you see, like sentimentality, religion is a human invention designed to keep God at a safe, comfortable distance away, to pacify and to demystify. But here at Christmas, we are brought face to face with God with us. Yes, we can look in the manger and just see another, another baby and get on with our Christmas celebrations. Or we can look in the manger and see the King of Kings, Emmanuel. This mystery is aptly framed by St. Augustine in one of his sermons, where he writes, Maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant but in such a way that his greatness is not diminished by his smallness, nor his smallness overwhelmed by his greatness. The impossibility and the, and the incomprehensibility of the incarnation should all give us pause and awaken within us a sense of awe and gratitude in response to this prime mystery. Here we are well served by following the example of Mary, who in response to everything that occurred, pondered these things in her heart in her heart and reflected upon them now as a newlywed first-time mother mary you think would be given to sentimentality but she doesn't give in rather she reflects upon the mystery in the manger her newborn human son who is also god in the flesh the desire of nations here before mary lying helpless in swaddling clothes 
is the deepest desire of every human heart, not an abstract desire or a consumer product, but rather the creator of the world who has come to make things right again, who has come to fill the void inside my heart. Dorothy Day puts it so well, I'm so glad that Jesus was born in a stable, because my soul is so much like a stable. It is in poor and in an unsatisfactory condition. But I believe that if Jesus can be born in a stable, maybe he can be born in me. To ponder the mystery of God with us is to ponder our need for a Messiah, a Savior, someone who can deliver us from the darkness of our ignorance and self-deceit, someone who can free us from our self-harm and selfishness and the propensity to mess things up. Now, this kind of reflective work that Mary did is difficult because it's easy to become distracted by so many other things going on around us, things that promise to offer quicker and easier solutions. But this pondering is essential for all who desire light and love, for all who seek the spirit and true meaning of Christmas, for all who long to hear good news of great joy for all people. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this Christmas, let us together with joy and awe ponder anew the central mystery of our faith, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. For it is in the birth and life of Jesus that God is with humankind in free, creative, and saving love. So as we ponder this mystery, let our hearts prepare him room. In so doing, we will find the true source of joy that surpasses even the warmest of sentimental feelings. For unto us this day a Savior is born, and he is Christ the Lord. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas. Amen.